two days in San Antonio, and uh, it didn't even rain in New Orleans. I mean, so, you know, that's why there was this, a lot of people wonder why everybody didn't evacuate, uh, you know, and, and really kind of uh, criticize the citizens of New Orleans. Well, there's been so many false alarms. I got caught right. in the Superdome while I was here. Right. But it starts the beginning of Katrina. Um, we thought nothing was going to happen. Uh, me, my grandmother, and my mom, we was all together and partial of my family was together. And, you know, we had uh, rented a hotel. And it was like, nothing's going to happen. You know, just a little windstorm going to happen. But every hurricane since I've been on the force has been a hit, you know, has been uh, a miss. Right. We get rain, we get water. What? Yeah. Two days later, the city's back to normal. Yeah, back to normal. Exactly. We've been very blessed so far. We've, we've escaped the brunt of most of the hurricanes that have been generated, but now it looks like, you know, we're going to have to bear some of the, some of the brunt of this storm. Yep, Thursday, August 25th, 2005, Lord have mercy. I just came back from um, chemotherapy. Center of landfall expected to be Gulf in New Orleans, Louisiana. State of emergency. No sooner I walked in the door, my cell phone rings and she's telling me, get Nemo together because they leave it right now. I just got an eerie feeling at that point yeah. because we have, we're not originally from New Orleans, so evacuation to us meant nothing. This was actually the first time that I really said, okay, you know what? We gotta get out of here. So I talked to my parents and I told them, I said, you know, we can't stay. We gotta leave. I guess something just doesn't feel right. Um, I packed my bag. Um, I went to, at the time, we had a, a dog. His name is Nemo. Um, Nemo lived with Red. So I went to, I called Red, I said, Red, I said, we're not staying, um, we're gonna leave. Apparently she knew something that I didn't know, but she said, we're leaving right now. I said, as this, this minute, we are, I'm coming pick Nemo up and we are leaving. We are leaving. Why are you leaving? Why are you leaving? So what, what do you remember doing that day? Saturday, she leaves. Relaxing. Doing. Relaxing. Nothing. Sitting on the couch. Sitting on the couch. Sitting on the couch, doing things about the house. I hadn't even packed an overnight bag yet. Saturday, August 27th. We were still, yeah, we were still in New Orleans too. Hurricane Katrina, not a category three storm. Hurricane Center advised the mayor Renegan to plan evacuation, declare state of emergency. Issued a voluntary evacuation order. Sunday, August 28th. Katrina becomes a category five stone with 160 miles per hour winds. Mayor Negan now issued a mandatory evacuating, including all refugees. 
need a place to stay, go to the Superdome. Thought he had been expected to fulfill, which became, you guys know, a horrific mess. Eventually, 30,000 other New Orleans residents visits would join him there at the Superdome. What am I gonna take? No, I take some underwear. You, you can never go, I mean, you can never take too much underwear. If, if anything, underwear. I put peanut butter and jelly in the last little bit of bread that, that I had. In my bag with, with three hot sodas. And three sodas? Three sodas. Three cokes, three. Uh, big shots. Big, you know, one of, one of the local the sodas. Yeah, no, pineapple, my favorite. <laughs> Three pineapple hot sodas. Get to the Superdome and uh, find 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 where all the police cars was. Park my car. You know we had child abuse. We had homicide. Uh, we had the SROs, which is the school resource officers. We were all detailed to the Superdome. Just basically, hey, we, we, we're gonna be in one of the super lounges. This is where the, this is where the artists usually are behind the stage. It's called a super lounge and there's four. It goes around the super door. But we were confined to one of them. Uh, and this was where all the police was confined. Nice, all the tables, chairs. Um, so every all 50 yards. Yeah. And we fit it, you know, we, we fit comfortably. Two screen TVs. On opposite side in the middle, six TVs smaller. She. So when we got to the super lounge to see where we were gonna be, man, it's not gonna be bad after all. And from that day on, the, the, the 28th was the day I considered us being on lockdown. The Superdome is open to all who seek shelter. And the first wave arrived. Well, the Superdome serves as a shelter of last resort through previous hurricanes and really was not designated to be that for Hurricane Katrina. Uh, but when the mayor calls the governor and says we're under a mandatory evacuation here and we've got people that, that could be dying and we need, need to open the Superdome, the governor certainly reacted. But the truth of the matter is, uh, when the storm came, we were having a pool party the night before. And I wasn't on the list at that time, but I volunteered to get on that list. And that's how I, I became, I moved myself up. I get in and I get my red coat first. And I get my assignment, which was to register the people. Um, and that kind of started off okay, smoothly, uh, somewhat. But nobody really was in charge. That's it. We had latex gloves and, and nothing else when we first got there. Our little red vests, our latex gloves. I mean, we didn't have scissors. I mean, that would have helped with lots of stuff. We didn't have ink pens. We didn't have anything. We, we just didn't have flashlights, nothing. Oh, I wasn't prepared at all because I don't even remember going to any of the uh, training. My first assignment, gay day ground level. So basically, I was, you know, to watch people come in and ask them general questions, you know, like, you know, do you have anything to declare, you know, uh, you know, even knives, you know, guns, you know, you throw guns in there just to kind of break the monotony. You hope that nobody say, yeah, I, you know, I have a gun. 
and as the, you know, as the day wore on, you see longer and longer lines. You know, people had actually, some people look like they actually moved everything out of their house and brought it with them. <laughs> they were going to what's called plaza level, which is the first level. I didn't know how people were going to be situated until I actually saw people sitting in the same seats that ticket holders sit in. And now, how can a grown man or, 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 or a lady sit in a seat and sleep comfortably? But I looked up and I saw people doing it. They were sitting in the seats and, you know, head cocked to one side and sleeping. No lights are bright at this time. It feels comfortable. It's like a big sleepover. At some point, hmm. one of the people in the room said, oh, shit, man. The power's out. Yep. Shit, that's all we need. I tell them to go back to sleep. You could, you could hear, hear it. You've heard before it was just bang. Yep. Bang. All you can literally hear and see was the roof. The, the, the roof of the Superdome flapping and paneling that allowed the water to come to the Little hammer, see. The seats are getting wet now. The people are starting to move. Yeah. So the power's off now? Power's off. Power's off. No light. The lights are completely off. The generator kicked in. Just enough lights for you to get A to B. We had no idea what was going on outside. The second wave, whoo, that did it. Well, you know, when the storm hit and it, it passed, everything was, right. was fine. Yeah. Phone calls from friends that had evacuated, you know, what's it like? And, you know, a lot of wind, a lot of rain, very little flooding. And we, everything was fine. We had no power. And then um, I remember the power going out at 529 Monday morning. Because that's when the, the clock stopped, 529, Monday morning. Mm. We had gone over to my mother-in-law's home. And the rain had come down, but it was a light rain. Not enough to make anybody alarmed. And I was actually in the bedroom. And I began to look out of one of the windows. And there was a flower pot that she had. And it stood yay high. And I'm looking outside. And then I turn my head and maybe like... Two minutes later, I look out the window and the flower pot is covered. And I'm like, okay, you know, something's wrong. It came to the morning, woke up. It was like two feet going out here and rising every second. Soon as we got in the car to hit I 10, and I 10 was like maybe three blocks or four blocks away from us, the water started coming from the sewer line coming up. And by the time we was at the stop sign, the water had got so high that the water must have gotten a motor and it was like it locked up on us. Oh my god. It's my city. It never been the same since y'all. Never right. been the same. I told my son, um, you know, this is our hurricanes are we, we get some flooding. Of course, at that time, we didn't know that the levees had broken. Right. You know, we didn't have, we had the, the radios and listening to the people on the radio saying that they were getting phone calls from New Orleans East, out in Lakeview, those areas saying that there's water overtopping levees, uh, apparently levees 
broke and people on roof, rooftops saying that they were white caps. They could see white caps like, you know, the lakefront going on Canal Street and things like that. So outside of that, I, I told my son, this is what happens. If you have a hurricane, you have a little flooding, then we'll go to sleep and tomorrow we'll wake up and everything will be back to normal. That didn't that. happen. The National Guard came in a boat. I guess they were taking elderly, elderly, elderly kids first, what have you. My ten-year-old son volunteered to go with them. So they took my parents. About eleven o'clock, they came and got my parents, and they put them in a boat. And they told us that you know we're taking them, and they come back and get us. That was the last we saw of them for a week. Well, they were announcing that on the radio, that if um, if you're still in your homes, you're, you can go to the Superdome, and that's where we decided to go. And I said, we gotta get out of here. I said, where we gonna go? She said, I don't know. She said, maybe we need to go to the Superdome. My nephew had an inflatable pool that we, my brother-in-law, myself, pushed. We put all the women in the pool. We pushed it down St. Brown Avenue. My brother-in-law and I stood in the water, and as we went down St. Brown Avenue, we picked up other people, other families, other women, with, and the guys that they were with pushed as well. The Superdome was like about, mm, say about seven, eight blocks from Superdome. My reaction to that was, if this pool turns over, mm. I didn't want my face to get in the water. And I'm being honest with you. I was like, this water is disgusting. If this pool turns over, <laughs> I don't want to, you know, so I didn't really want to get in the pool. I would prefer to walk, but the water was up to my neck. So my husband was like, no, you get in the pool. The National Guards was lying to the people when y'all get to the Superdome, FEMA's waiting on y'all. So I'm like, wow, it's like, okay, so if FEMA's waiting on us, we're going to get out quick. So FEMA never we showed go, up. You know, <laughs> neighborhood we did pick up some other people which i didn't like because i was like this pool is not heavy enough for right you know and I, at that point i was being selfish because i'm like okay if we put too many people in the pool the yeah. pool may turn over right right but we did put other people in the pool and we all were okay nothing compared to waking up on tuesday morning my lord and seeing yes nothing but water jesus water everywhere there was no uh, radio. There was no kind of outside communication going on. You kind of heard little things that was going on, but nothing until the people started coming in. And I they were coming in, coming in, coming in groves. So that's how we knew. And it was just too much for us to handle. And then a long line started. We sat down there and the army, you know, searched people and told people, you know, knives in this box. If people had old medicine, you know, they literally took people's medicine away from them. Jesus. You know, or I, I don't know. I didn't ask any questions. Yeah. If it was outdated medicines, they took it away from them. So now you got people that's in there, don't know what they're walking into. People who need heart medicine. It may be a little outdated, but, you know. At least it was something. Some, they probably still used to right. Well, That's how the people start dying. The military started doing, I guess, what they were instructed to do. Mm-hmm. Nothing you can say to them. Nothing I can say. I can't supersede the president. The president yeah. and the mayor, I mean, the governor said these people in. So when we got in there, they would check, they would search you like, you know, like you was a prisoner. They wanted to go into your backside, see if you had any weapons. They was patting you down. National Guards were just patting you down. The National Guards, were obviously, they didn't want to be there. 
probably never dealt with a situation like that. And no matter how cordial you were, you know, those people didn't want to hear that. They just, you were just another number to them. And I was, I would say because the fact that we were in the dome, you know, maybe it was just people who they assumed were, were poor or just whatever. And when we got there, it was hundreds of people we saw. I saw. This side of the barricade had family and friends of dumb people who worked and on this side had the regular people from the city. They were getting fresh hot food, we were getting army food, which I felt unfair. But early on when we got there that Tuesday, the kids were on the floor playing football. They were different, you know, on the dome floor. Can you imagine that? You're in a superdome. And they were on the floor playing football, and kids had football, there were games going on. It was it was the right place to be then as the dome got full. He says, no, no buses are here and FEMA's not here. I don't know where y'all got that from. So I was like, well, I'm like, well, we need to get back out of here. I don't care. We go in the water. We got to go somewhere. So it was like, once you in here, you in. You can't get back out. Yeah, so I'm like, um, I said, man, I said, how long we going to be up in here? The Superdome took a hard hit. You know, with ceilings coming down, within the infrastructure, had waters on the floor, different places. And now it's starting to, that cool air is starting to dissipate. So you got you know, people starting to get a little antsy. But at that time, time didn't matter. Because it was all one, it was one day. You know, Blake, you know, to, 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 to be point blank, it was all one day. Yeah, You know, you lost track of time. It's, it's like you're in the twilight zone because you, you don't know the time. You don't care about time. But you feel that the dome is getting hotter. Keep in mind New Orleans with the uptown and downtown and teenagers into the, the wards, the 7th Ward, the 13th Ward. And so you had a, a number of different people up in, from, from around the city. And you throw those people in one spot and them not really knowing what's going on. It was, it was an ordeal. Def definite demarcation between the two populations we dealt with. The people that we were there and had planned to evacuate to the dome initially came with stuff they had they knew they could bring stuff they came with stuff they were prepared to be there they you know they had the things that were essential to them after the levees broke the people came in with nothing and they were desperate and they had nothing and they knew what was going on outside the dome whereas us that were in there really didn't know what was going on inside and the two populations were very different to deal with. I had co-workers in there, co-workers there with their, who had stayed behind because they're elderly parents. I'm a letter carrier, customers I knew, hotel owners that I knew, hey, everybody just decided to ride it out, not knowing the severity of it and based on the past. Well, once we got to um, the dome and we got in and uh, we walked around trying to locate my other family members and um, it was kind of like you had prime spot on the um, field if you had elderly that were sick. And that's the only way we were able to get there because we were actually looking for uh, my father-in-law and my mother-in-law um, who were sick. And so they say, okay, well, you can go on the field. We had the cots and um, we had just sat on the cots and you know, got a little bit comfortable. And I was like, okay, a day or two, this will be over. And um, then you hear, just like gunshots and everybody just began to run and 
nobody's worrying about is there a little child or is there an elderly everybody's getting out of the way so either you run or you get trampled so i was like okay this is it we don't you know we're not going to stay on the floor so at that point we decided to go um to the upper levels where the um seatings were people start to panic and people feel it in what way you start hearing things you start seeing the people who are smiling you start seeing people's tempers flare. We're living like pigs in here. You know, you're waking up. They're saying uh, a guardsman has just gotten shot and somebody in the dome has their weapon. And after about an hour or so, the guy barricaded himself into, uh, I think, a bathroom or something. But then it gave up and, and without incident, you know, everything was back to normal. So to speak. That had to be the most trying time of my life. Um, I was evil. I didn't want to talk to anybody because I just didn't know what the state, what state he was in, and the way that the news was portraying what went on. It, I mean. All kind of things were going through my mind. Am I gonna see him again? You know, where is he? Is he okay? What's what's going on? And then it got to a point where you were seeing that the 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 people that were in the dome they were trying to take over the dome, and you know, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, oh my God. Because it was pitch dark, and no communication. The only people you were talking to was the people in this room, because everybody outside was huddled up and they were scared. Or exit strategy. I'm talking to one girl, she said, I think some guy just jumped to the ground up. So we can hear some screams for help. So Tim and I ran, literally ran from the level we was at, all the way down the ramp to the ground level. And by this time, it's, it's, it's a little hot on the floor. That level, Little hot. the floor is sweating, it's slippery, so we have to be careful ourselves. When we get down to ground level, we see like a cluster of uh, National Guard standing around this, this, this guy. So I make my way through the crowd, and you know, here I see this gentleman who's laying face down in the back end of his head. You can just see a pool of blood. Sorry, what was your name? What you want to know my name for? He was speaking as if nothing had happened. What was the look of his mother's face? Calm. Yeah, the calm look. Just leave me alone. Didn't show an ounce of pain. That was the scary part. He just—he was sitting down and he, you know, he just became disoriented and said, "I gotta get out of here by all means. I gotta go. Let me go. Let me go." And he literally bust through Ooh. people. And where he was sitting was along the wall, but there's a ramp. That goes from one walkway where you freshmen to the seating area. There's a ramp. And he literally just leaped over the ramp. He could not take it anymore. Because by this time, you had people that was, you know, had moved from the seating area because of water to the walkway around the superdome. Whatever you could fit, that's where, you know, people, you know, whatever, you did not see an empty space on the floor. And then, you know, the day after that, I had gotten word that George had died. 
So, you know, it didn't sit well with me because, you know, I, 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 I thought about this man that I had talked to in a short time, kind of had a rapport with. But it's funny to see somebody that you talk to and they tell you he's dead. Wow. Many of the post-storm people did not have any belongings except the clothes on their back. Some didn't even have that. Many had no shoes, and the water around the dome and the docks was contaminated with trucks, urine, vomit, and human misery. All were suffering from exposure and dehydration. They were exhausted. One woman laid on a mat on the muddy floor repeatedly screaming for help for hours while waiting to be transferred. Inside, people's patience and calm were starting to deteriorate. The air was stifling. The bathroom started to back up as there was no longer running water. The generators supplied limited electricity for safety light only. Again, there was no information as to when we all will be leaving. Wow. As condition worsens, military and NOPD leaders meet with the Superdome executive to discuss how best to help the people in the dome. Unresolved issues of jurisdiction and control, however, doomed the talks. and no decisions were made. For all military and police services to withdraw from the dome. Sergeant, Lieutenant, and Captain decided, and other Sergeants, Lieutenant, and Captains, what are we gonna do? Because now we are, you know, kind of a, you know, we have guns. Do we want people coming into the dome to say, you know, we know where the police are. It's nighttime. Let's overtake them. It was kind of a little excitement. Uh, the captain comes to you and is like, look, you know, late on the night, we're moving out. Oh, wow. Gotcha. You the back door that we went out of had to be banned. So who better to go see that door? We put the crews down there. It was oh. a key entry point to coming up so to speak, and we don't want nobody to come up our ass, but that's where, you know, people can hurt us. Even though this is a, it's still a calm situation, you can feel and you know what's going on, that people are going to start getting antsy, and, and, and stuff, you know, things are going to start happening, so before it happened, we reacted. While I was there, when the police came off the front line, in this city, you got a lot of different gangs neighborhoods but when you put all of those people under one roof my lord the police know markings signs that they use clothes that they wear the way they walk the way they carry themselves the policeman has a feeling of something wrong mm -hmm. and when the military told them we're in charge back away they argued the point but the military said no we're in charge. So naturally, NOPD said, you got it. Oh, we heard all kinds of rumors, but um, 
we were pretty much unaware what the police were doing, really. Um, you know, because it seemed like the police and the military didn't really know what each other were doing. A couple of nights, we moved down, you know, to our vehicles. And for the next, for the duration of our vehicles, we came actually to our, our house. No, this is serious. We didn't know what to expect from people who were, who didn't have anything. Because as the days went, you know, and people were coming to the Superdome for help, we needed help ourselves. But making that move to the area that we named Camp Katrina, we felt that it was safe. We had we had the advantage point. We had the angle from left, you know, from east, west, north, and south. After we pulled back, we basically gave the dome to the people. I don't know how it is, but what they, they call hell, it was uh, a little worse than that. When we lost power, and then when you had the problems with the people, because you couldn't hit, you had no water take a bath with, to drink, couldn't flush the uh, toilets for sanitary, because all sanitary was gone. Had no heat, no, no air conditioning, and no facilities whatsoever. The filth, the bathrooms overflowing, and, and you could actually smell that, and it was all in the, in the hallways. They had the bathrooms on in the Superdome, but the bathroom stank so bad. I can remember this like it was yesterday that I didn't even want to go in the bathroom because the smell could have you vomiting. It was it was degrading. I had to laugh because I found myself in a room where police officers, where we, where I've had a roll call for the Saints. You know, I'm thinking this, this is the only reason I'm going to go. I don't think nobody's going to go in the My stomach is bubbling. But, you know, I, I have to literally go. So here I am, I find myself swatting over a box in Hubei, you know, in the New Orleans police officer's roll call room. And we got two people from the Superdome trying to assess the, 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 the damage, and I'm, I, I have to yell to them, hey, 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 somebody's in here. And they, oh, oh, you know, huh? I'm sorry. I guess they knew what I was doing. But where else were you going to go? And then other police, the police officers found their other little niches where to go. You know, it was just inhumane. It was the fluid, it was the condensation. We trying to survive with food. Uh, we trying to get water, you know. But that's something, you know, that's things that people don't know about. We spent a couple of days, like, on the outside as you entered the dome, you know, on the, on the, the stairwells and what have you. And... I would sit like right in the back way. I would sit like the back, the back way of that. And every once in a while, I'd get up and walk and go look at the water. And I'd just go back and sit down and I'm like, you know. They're not doing everything that they can do because there's no reason why we should have all these people out here like this. This woman here has lost her two children. She don't know, they don't, she don't know where they at. They don't know if she, if they're alive or dead. Where was, was, was the most, a lopsided up and down day that was there for that one day and a half. Because all that was left off the inside of the dome. Where they went, I don't know. We didn't say much. Um, now, of course, with all the people that they had in the dome, you can hear voices and people talking, but we didn't say much because we didn't know, I guess, what direction we were going to go in. Yeah, I, I did see a lot of fights, you know, people were fighting against each other for what reason? I don't know. 
I really don't know. You would hear certain things in the air, you know what, like somebody got raped in a Superdome or, you know, but I tried my best to stay away from that, that part. So we kind of found that it, it was possibly true that two girls were, were, were raped uh, in the bedrooms. And, you know, we heard that the guys that raped them, they, they the people, beat them up real bad. Uh, as far as rapes, they did have a few, but that was handled. It was handled properly. No Tell me the richest country in the world. Can I get enough buses to clear out one city at one in, in, in a week's time? Everybody's going absolutely insane. You hear people on the bridge. You couldn't, you couldn't even leave them on the bridge. Was there for two days? Yep, I remember because I was there. Some scary stuff. Outside, they wouldn't even let you in Jefferson Parish. Even where the concession stands were, the bathrooms had run over. So you're walking in that if you walk. Looting. They started looting. And I didn't want to get hurt because there was loot, you know, they, they said they had little cases around and people around, you know, and I'm like, I'm not going to, I don't want to loot for food, you know, they had to fight, it was actually, you know, some people said it was fighting for food, you know, but you got to understand, being on, you know, how can I say, an island by yourself, no food, you got to do what you got to do to survive. Yeah, for real. Uh, peanut butter crackers. Professional letter carrier, it's professional letter carrier for <laughs> And she was like, you know, you're losing your mind, son. She's like, can you, can you, she's like, did anybody give you any kind of drugs out here? And I'm like, no, you know, and I can remember too, they had an old man It was like, he was telling my mom, he was telling her, and she, he was like, you know, it's not that he's losing his mind, it's just what he see. Right. Oh, what am I going to do with this? We all up in here together. The money can't buy you anything in here. I knew it would be a better day, how long it took. I was kind of worried about that. We will do everything in our power to help the people in the communities you affected ain't, by you this You ain't storm. did nothing, Bush. You ain't did nothing. You ain't did nothing. We are dealing with one of the worst natural disasters in our nation's history. Hmm. This is where the president got me choked up. He said, Mr. Mayor, I got it. And we're going to make sure you get the resources to rebuild New Orleans and into never a shining did. example for the entire world. Day four. Sure, I'm frustrated. Everybody's frustrated. This is a war zone that we're working in right now. And we'll continue to make progress day by All day. All in meeting, they still ain't do nothing. That's the day four, y'all. Day four. We are in the middle. Of they ain't did happen. nothing. We have a choice to spend a lot of time in the rear view mirror um, or we can spend a lot of time looking out the windshield seeing the way we're going not one of those drug addicts i am thinking very clearly and i don't know whose problem it is i don't know whether it's the governor's problem i don't know whether it's the president's problem but somebody needs to get that plane and sit down the two of them and figure this out right now god is looking down on all this and if they are not doing everything in their power to save people they are going to pay the price. That was, was a hot mess, y'all. It was on like the, the top parking level. And within with that top parking level, it's a bridge that crosses from the high Regency to the Superdome. Yeah, so I used to work there. We are literally, if you turn to the 
left of where I was, to the right of where I was parked, you literally looking at 20, 25,000 people. You know, it's like being in a war zone where over the line is 30, 25, 30,000 plus people. They can really, literally reach out and touch you. So that we, that's what we have to be mindful of. So you guys literally all left the There's nobody in no. No, they were, we were still in, you know, what we named our area, Camp Katrina, the parking lot we were in. We named it Camp Katrina and we were there. But there was nobody inside the No. We would go on patrols during the daytime, not at night. At night there was nobody. There was nobody. Nobody. During during the daytime, they had come to uh, I guess our higher ups and told us, hey, we need some help. You know, putting sandbags on the generator because we, we, you know, water's steady rising. So we go down and we we see water now is all around the Superdome. At least three feet. Surround the superdomes. But if water would have gotten any higher than a foot to, 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 to two feet, the generator was gone. And that's when this, and at nighttime, when you're talking pitch black. Pitch black. Anything goes. So later on that night, we, I mean, that day we did as much as we could. You know, we're in waste, you know, uh, uh, shit high water exactly. up to me trying to save the generators. This was our assignment, you know. We had police officers, we had recruits, and we would swap out, you know, every like two hours. And, you know, I got a break when, you know, the, the army didn't come with sandbags, you got a break, but now you're still standing in the water waiting on more sandbags to come. So here it is, you know, we did what we can do. They tell us go back upstairs to our vehicle. One night, we were asleep. And you hear chaos. Get up, get up, get up, strap up, strap up. What, what, what? Well, literally, strap up, strap up, strap up, man. Men, strap up because talk is they're gonna take us over. We formulated a plan. You know, this group is gonna watch this, you know, this walkway. You know, that group, y'all take the stairs. And we actually move to those positions because when they say strap up, you know, you grabbed your gun and you moved. Wow. So, I made my plan, uh, I made my peace, but I also said that if it came down to taking out women, children, men, and if you know, we got to the point of being overrun, that you know, I was not going to let someone else decide my fate. And I literally decided myself that you know, I had 45 bullets that at least that last bullet was gonna be saved for myself. I had never told you know, none of the guys that I worked with that. You know, I don't know how they felt. You know, I mean, the consensus was if somebody comes across that line, I'm, I'm taking them out, whether it's a child or whether it's you know, a woman or whether it's a man. And here it is, you know, you, you know this is people that you just want to protect. But now, you know, you may be on the verge of taking a life. Wow.
mission here was to sign these people in. That mission is over. When when are we going? And then they kept saying, well, now your mission has changed. Now it's when the last person comes. And we're like, the last person will never come because they're still coming. They will not stop coming here. You can't use that as as when you're going to get us out of here. So finally, when that got, I, I guess... Um, emphasized to them enough they agreed and then they started trying to make arrangements to get us out which you know that's that was a major um, fault of their planning too though while they had a way to put us in they never planned a way to get us out it's just so easy you know this is a city surrounded by water yeah it should be easy boats you know we're fishery we you know we have cruise ships and I just, yeah, get us some more boats. Moving to the arena was one step. Then they packed us up and they they moved us to the Hyatt. And we were new for sure. We were getting out. Then all of a sudden, we end up going right back to the dump. Because then we were going to go out by helicopter. But when we got back to the dome, it was like, mm, helicopters are not coming. Wow. So by that time, we were like, enough. I got to get out of here. And they told me, I woke up and said, get me out of here. Get me out of here. I got to get out of here. People had moved outside. And uh, they started telling them, you know, y'all, y'all going to be evacuated. Y'all going to be put on a bus. Y'all going to be taken to this place and that place. And, you know, people started. I don't know. Because we got word, and they say mostly everything was trickled down from hearsay. Oh, we didn't see the buses at all. We didn't even know. We didn't know how you were being evacuated. There was no one saying, stay in line, we're going to get a, a bus for you. We didn't know that. We just knew we had to be at this particular spot in order to be evacuated. We assumed it was a bus of some sort. In my half a mile to a mile long. But it wasn't, it wasn't to the way you see that long. It was, that's how people were bunched up. And you blew like, you know, like, sorry, like, you know, sorry, you can't. But, like, prime example, when they had a line to, um, get on the buses, everybody was pushing it with so many people, you know, it was masses of people. How you can deal with all these people? Everybody's pushing, trying to get out. It was horrible. We waited, um, the first day when they asked everyone to exit the dome, um, and it could be rumor. Everybody was like, okay, go to gate E. That's where they, you're going to be um, escorted out. And you go to gate E, and there's nothing at gate E. And, and it's like you're running from here to, from one gate to wow. another. And we finally got to the gate that they said that we would be exited out of. And we actually stayed there for a day and a half. And it felt, um, I had on a tank top, and I, it was like I had been sunbathing. I was so burned from being outside and um, everybody was frustrated people were you know claiming I'm gonna shoot somebody and you know so you everybody's scared you know not knowing what's going on because my daughter there was someone that was near us and uh, he claimed to I'm gonna put my gun out and I'm gonna shoot somebody so she begins and I was like okay calm down I was like he's just talking crazy we'll be okay but little did she know I was scared out of my wits, like, Lord, please don't let this man have a gun or really do what he's saying he's going to do. We tried to keep families together. If they came all the way through, if they came all the way through, we together. Together at that time. You know, if people.
people say I was waiting on, no, 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 no. You know, I can't have you waiting because right now this get clutters. I'm trying to put you on the bus and get you out. But if, you know, we told people hold up at the door. Another bus is coming up and they need two seats. Give me two people. You together. You together. Let's go. Get on that bus. Keep going. Got to the front of the line, we saw Rip. He asked us, man, how many you have with you? And we told him, and he made sure that our group got on the bus together, because I guess they were taking maybe four or five at a time, or what have you, and he made sure we all got on the bus together. Well, after helping people in wheelchairs, uh, handicapped people down the stairs, you know, you know, and direct them toward the bus, you know, something just told me to turn around. And uh, I saw this, this, this kind of obese lady, you know, struggling with two kids. And one girl, one, one little girl, about one, maybe one and a half, just crying because, you know, mom had already had you know, one kid in her hand and couldn't accommodate the other one. And, you know, you got police officers up top trying to, trying to help other people. And I just decided to just walk up the, the steps and pick the little girl up. You know, while the mom is trying to come down the stairs. And I picked up the girl up, and the little girl looked at me and immediately put her head on my shoulder. Stop crying. And for as long as it took for her mom to come down the stairs, I stayed with, with, with the mom until she got to the bottom. My of the Lord. And at that point, you know, I gave the little girl back to her mom, and the girl never cried again. You know, and as she's walking from the steps to front door of the high emergency hotel, this little girl is looking back at me and just looking. But all I could do is look at her, turn my head and continue working. Week later, the final the last bus, everybody's gone. Yeah. So basically everybody's put on a bus. Everybody's put on a bus. And we had gotten word that once everybody get off the bus, you're gonna probably get about two days off. And you gotta be right back to work. It's like, what? I basically went to my captain. I said, hey, Cap, look, you know, I, I, I lost everything. How am I gonna get to my family? Mm. What if I take the police car? That's my only means of transportation. He said, wow. well, you know what? Do what you gotta do. I took one of my recruits, Herman, Herman Clark, because his wife lived in Houston. Got to a little town called Booty, Louisiana. And these people saw us and opened their hearts. Told us, come get gas. You know, they were rationing out gas themselves. Come get gas. You know, ma'am, thank you. You need anything to drink? Yes, thank you. Well, there was a Walmart adjacent to this gas station. And the guy was like, man, look, I am the, the regional manager. Whatever you all need, get. I'm, I'm there in, in, in a pair of nylon shorts and a t-shirt and boots gun belt around my waist. I mean, if you would see me on the street, no, that's not a police officer, but, you know, yeah. So we pull in, get some gas, and uh, before I knew it, I see a state trooper with his lights on behind me. Let me tell you what's going on. He was nice. He said, word is, you know, y'all had police officers that left. I said, what? He said, man, they found cars, two cars were stolen, 
and uh, just left in uh, some part of Louisiana. One car was found in Miami or something like that. So I'm just like, you are telling me you're kidding. No, he's not. Get about halfway, get inside Beaumont, Texas, and I see a police car come up behind me. To make a long story short, I stood on the side of the road for about an hour and a half in the heat while they decided my fate. Tell them, you know, tell them the sergeant and this guy, man, look, I lost everything. This is what I have. This is all I have. And I'm about to break down in tears. And they, they, they looking at me like, who gives a fuck? Wow. The sergeant that I was at the Superdome with sees what's going on. He's going to Houston. He stops. He pulls over. He comes to talk to them. Hey, I'm one of his sergeants. What's going on? They start questioning him. Whoa. And tell me the stuff that I got from Walmart has to be confiscated. What? I have a receipt for everything that was in that car. Underwear. Shorts. Wow. Yeah, they did treat us well. So now I'm being treated like I'm one of those people who wanted to take us over at the Superdome. State Trooper comes back and says, you know what? We have some good news and bad news. Good news is you can continue on to Houston. Bad news is you're not going in this vehicle. Oh. And at that time, everything, every emotion just came out. And I started cursing. And I flipped out. I cursed the department. I cursed the situation. I told them they could take that fucking car and throw it in the river. I know that's right. I have just been through something for seven and a half days so dramatic that you want to go so petty to take my police car and I'm trying to get to my family. Right. We met up with my, my right. friend and my girlfriend. And, you know, this is seven days of not seeing her, not knowing what my grandmother was because my aunt had to be evacuated by helicopter and separated. So we didn't know where my grandmother was. So now, you know, it's starting to sink in that, oh, you, st I still feel immune to it because it's like, you know, you saw, you've been through something so traumatizing that you have no feelings. Yeah. Yeah. I had none. Right. So when you see her finally, all I could do is just give her a kiss. As, as time got close, it just seemed like even though we were getting closer to meet him it's like the time kept expanding and i kept saying okay are we not there yet what what what's happening so when we finally got there and he was sitting in the car he got out the car and i, I didn't move i just stayed in the car um i guess i was kind of dazed sat in the car and he got out the car came around to the window i rolled the window down and he said hey i said hey and he gave me a kiss on the cheek. And at that point, it was like, okay, he's he's good. You know, I'm better. He's good. It wasn't even a hug. Yeah, shower or nothing. It wasn't that. I was immune to not having feelings. Yeah, yeah. I was told the next day when I got to the apartment, I couldn't do nothing but rap. I'm just trying to get all of this out. What yeah. Went on. Yeah. He kept telling me later, later, couldn't sleep. The end result, the end result is, you know, we did a job.
no police officer, no police department could ever do. And then still get treated like you didn't we do nothing. Mm-hmm. We did what we had to do. And the majority of us came out unscathed. So those who left, they left on a, for their own reasons. We didn't care for them. But for the ones who stayed, from the bus we went to Texarkana, Arkansas and uh, no they didn't tell us where we were going they didn't tell us where we were going because we would make uh, certain stops and every time we would make certain stops you know the bus would make certain stops to different shelters they would state that they're too full there to go to Lafayette and all through these these little towns, they were like shelters too full. Wow. You know, so we went all the way to Texarkana, Arkansas, and we found the shelter that really treated us nice, you know, and they had computers and everything set up, you know, for us. I was on the front of the bus. They have, they have no more seats when I got on the bus. So the little seat by the door, when you close the door, you should pull out. I had a seat belt. Grab somebody break it and put it on. It was so cold, it was like penguin feet, it was so cold. On that bus, so I'm in front of the bus. I'm seeing the bus driver seeing. You know, they don't see me pull out. That's why I'm sitting there. I'm going to Houston. Go, 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 Bus took us to Dallas, Texas. Non, we stopped at the, uh, we stopped at Shreveport in one of the church organizations. We were afraid. The guy who was driving the bus was the elderly guy. That says he had been driving for 24 hours nonstop. Jesus, get us out of this one. And you really felt like, okay, I just went from being with thousands of people to no one. Like, where is it? It was just, it was just so, you were really out of your element and could not figure out what happened to the world. Like, I was in there for seven days with all these thousands of people, and now where is everybody? Like, what was going on while I was in there, you know? And we checked into the hotel. It was very late um, in the morning. So it was six of us, and we get to the hotel, and all six of us are going to stay in that room, and we felt like we had our own room to ourselves. But it was like, okay, we, I mean, I literally jumped on the bed and was like, this feels so good. I was prepared for it to be a lot of stench and a lot of heat, and, uh, you know, obviously uh, a lot of feces and... Uh, uh, maybe even some blood. You know, I didn't know exactly how bad it was going to be, but I just remember uh, getting in there and, and walking around with these uh, biohazard experts, and um, they were taken aback. I remember that, that's the thing that struck me was just how, uh, you know, awestruck they were by what clearly you could see was just a lot of human suffering. I think people understood uh, the importance of the dome and getting it back, getting the saints back, getting getting their lives back. Uh, and that uh, if the dome were allowed to just remain in ruins, that it would send a message to the country that uh, New Orleans just uh, isn't making the effort. We're not going to give it a try.
mean, there wasn't an empty seat. Everyone was there. Um, and I still remember kind of looking around and looking over to the other sideline, and I was like, there's no chance. There's no chance that we're going to lose this game. Like, impossible. 2006 or September when we did the first game, you can say this city came alive. People uh, got a little more morale to them. They were happy. They forgot the storm, all the bad times, because their team was back here. Um, by far the most electric event I've ever attended in my life. It was really, really, really special to be a part of. Uh, what what a, an amazing moment, you know. This is a, a city with a great history. And September 25, 2006, has to be a very significant date and all that's happened in this great city. Uh, I was standing up at the press box and looking down at the field. Well, at that stage, there came this music that I was not all that familiar with. And I realized they were saying something about the Super Bowl. There is a house in New Orleans they call the Super Bowl. I was our special teams captain, and I had one of the reasons I was even stuck in this league is I was I had found a way to block punts. proper decisions uh, they were on vacation didn't want to deal with it you know I try not to get into the whole politics of it 
those, you know, nobody was prepared or really handled the response properly. Well, I, I definitely think the governor and president could have, like, been, you know, worked together better. I mean, they didn't need to, this wasn't time to be territorial and, like, you know, be political. No, I, I didn't point the finger at anyone. You know, I, I said to myself it was something that happened, um, like, uh, most media will say that this is something that's happened in the country that's never happened before. My stuff, my, my problems were self-induced. I did it myself. I kept my family in harm's way. And, you know, from a man's that you, know, you, you never want to do that. Suppose something, suppose I would have lost a family member because I didn't want to evacuate because I was selfish. It's not my call. It's not my call. Like uh, uh, um, spiritual people step up for their community. I haven't seen anybody. You have to do it for yourself. You know, you've got to be proactive for yourself. That's right. You know, the lesson. Depend on the government. The recognition between neighbors that we we're the ones that are in charge here. We're the ones that are going to make a change and get us out of this if anybody is. I I covered that uh, wildfire in San Diego. I just happened to be out in California for a football story. And uh, the paper sent me down uh, to Qualcomm when, when they opened that stadium for the wildfires. And they wanted me to write a story comparing the two scenes and um, you know it was a joke uh, the people in Qualcomm were getting yoga you know performed on them they were uh, getting massage I mean they were doing yoga they were uh, getting massages they had uh, huge uh, video screens watching movies out in the parking lot there was so much food there that people were you know were taking it home that Danziger uh, 7 I had an opportunity to talk to two of those uh, officers Prior to them being arrested, I advised them, get your affairs in order because you are going to jail. They asked me why, and I told them, because this is a, this is a delicate uh, situation where people were killed, people were shot. Well, I, I think at that moment, testosterone may have played a part. They were in the back of a, uh, some type of U-Haul van. Shots rang out from where, and the first thing they should have done was assess and then react but they more reacted than, you know, assessing what was going on. It, it, it was definitely trying times during Hurricane Katrina. Wow. Oh, the, the reputation we have, you know, are far from other cities are we are corrupt. You know, we, you know, we are dirty. Uh, uh, we, uh, you know, we, we, we just everything. We everything that Look most cities don't want to be. Yep. <laughs> but in actuality, most cities have the same thing we have, but they just bring it to the forefront here. Right. I've looked at differently in different communities. Different communities, you you know, you would have people come up to me and say thank you. Just tonight, I had someone say thank you for doing for doing what you do. In other communities, you know, I I'm just a police because I you know I was I was a coward as a kid. You know, I just want to uh, rough up. Uh, African Americans, uh, you know, and that's not the case. You know, I tell them it's it's it's, it's either or. There's a fence. You stand either on the left or the right. One side is good, one side is bad. You know, we can't stand on the fence. You got to get on one side, good or bad. People don't understand what we what we go through. They don't understand that we put our life on the line for them. We're, we're you know we're human, and we have problems just like they do. Nowadays, I'm a gentler kind of person. Ever since 
Katrina happened, we all thought that, you know, this was being, that this was a cleansing for the city. I thought it was going to be one also, you know, we we're going to get rid of some of the, the old politics, some of the old criminals and, you know, start fresh. But New Orleans hasn't changed. New Orleans is New Orleans. I still love it. It's, you know, it still has its, you know, grit and grime that I wouldn't change for, you know, anything in the world. Well, since, since the hurricane, um, you know, my wife and I, uh, we got married. We had one daughter who was, who was, she was a premature baby. Since then, we've, uh, you know, grown a family. Just had a son about a year ago, Red, Red Charles Jr. So right now, we're just in the process of uh, trying to move forward. I never push it out of my mind. A smell would bring you back. Walking in a superdome. You know, the city is a constant reminder. Katrina made me realize that I had someone there that was for me, that was special. Through the grapevine, you always hear, you know, thank you for staying. So even if the chiefs came, to, you know, he, he, every one of us personally said thank you for staying, I think it would be heartfelt. At the time, it's something that you do, regardless. I get pleasure from being here from within. To this day, people still ask about the Superdome. You're still hearing the whisper, you know, still hearing conversations. People talk about, oh, it wasn't that bad. And some people say, oh, it was that bad. I just sit and listen because... They just don't know. Wasn't there, right, exactly. Sometimes exactly. I join in the conversation, sometimes I just let people speculate. No one will ever know the amount of humility went that, that that went on in that place. I mean, it was for lack of better terms, it was hell. to the Superdome. And as the people started pouring in, you know, we started welcoming, welcoming the people and doing what we needed to do as a police department. Before you know it, I'm, I'm awoken by the Superdome almost being ripped apart. Water is pouring in. I'm standing on a 50-yard line just watching water just come in through the roof. And here we are like, wow, this is serious. And as the day goes by, we hear that one levee is breached, two levees are breached, and now water is actually pouring into the city. And water is surrounding us. The backup generators kicked in, minimal lighting. From there, chaos within the Superdome and the people because now you have no air, limited resources. So from there, things got really real. We tried to calm the savage beast. Uh, you know, you hate to call the people, you know, the beast, but being destitute, desolate, that's what they became, you know, I mean, you can't blame them, they had nothing, they had babies crying, diapers, we have to get out the Superdome, because we have weapons, it's dark, fall back to where we know, and that was our vehicles, we had to protect number one, 
And from detective number one, we also had to protect the people from each other and from other outside sources. We heard that the buses were coming, they never came. The buses were coming, they never came. The buses were coming, they finally came. We had to usher people onto these buses, leaving behind family members, leaving behind kids. And that was that was that was horrible. After you know getting people out of the Superdome, you see the carnage, you see the chairs, you see all the debris that they left behind, and all you can say is, did I just go through that? guys uh <laughs> that was a documentary on crime named Katrina Cop in the Superdome and that was his experience and I can relate um to I guess 65% of it because um, I didn't stay in the Superdome. We stayed, but we evacuated because as you heard on part one, the young lady said she had an eerie feeling. And uh, I'm probably going to come back and talk about it, but um, God had shown me a vision on like when he was saying they heard the slamming and the um, something shattering, like a boom, boom. Well... It's like I saw something coming to New Orleans that was going to be devastating, but didn't know what it was because I used to work right there at the Superdome, you guys. But really, I was the um, office administrator, uh, the office administrator, and became marketing assistant. That year, I was promoted to that position, which I loved. That was, I always talk about that job because... I don't know, it was just like, I really felt that that was the time of my life that I was really getting back on track. And then boom, shakalaka, what happens? You're diagnosed with cancer, and then three months later, the hurricane, Katrina hit. And so it was like, it was devastating. I was in tears listening to this young man. I was like, you know what? I probably still need to get some counseling because it felt so real and serene. It brought me back that fast on what had happened that weekend with me and my children. And even once we had got to um, Houston, uh, we was like treated so badly to the point where I had to get a Texas ID because when they saw Louisiana ID, man, the things that was going on in Houston, Texas, really all over from individuals that had came from New Orleans, they made a bad reputation for those that really, you know, had a life. And it was really hard. It was really a challenging transition that really traumatized um, me that I can acknowledge now. And just listening to my, my youngest children, my son and my daughter, she said they're always talking about certain things and it traumatized my children. And I didn't even know to that degree. And I just was like trying to just push it on and just do, just survive. 
you know, but I'm in the middle of a project right now, and I'm going to come back and talk about it. I think I talked about it last, in 2017, when Hurricane Harvey hit, because I felt that I was, like, just getting back on my feet, and boom, Hurricane Harvey hit on the anniversary of Katrina. And it's like, I wind up in a shelter, and it's like, oh, my God, what is this here? So, yeah, you know what I'm thinking about? I probably need to really go see a therapist. I, I need, I probably need to do that. But right now, the Holy Spirit is my therapist. And you guys are my audience. <laughs> so I get a chance to talk with you guys and share a lot with you guys. Uh, I guess I don't have that, that, that actual feedback per se. But... Uh, the Boom Factor Radio family has really given me an opportunity to express myself the way I feel about stuff uh, and talk about stuff. And I appreciate you guys for that. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you hearing me out. And even with the midst of all of that, I, I just pray that my uh, trials and tribulations will give you the encouragement and the strength to hold on a little bit longer. Don't give up on life. Don't give up on hope. You know, keep hope alive and know that you are important in this world. All right? So I'm going to holler at you guys later. I just pray that you guys enjoyed that little synopsis of what happened from a cop um, perspective. And I did go back into the city and that was a story in itself (laughs) so uh i'm gonna holler at you guys later god bless